Well, we're going to look at John chapter 1. You should have a copy of the lesson. It's entitled The Will of Man. In John chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 1 down and read down to verse 13. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so our text verses, verse 13, we want to pull that phrase out of there in the middle of the verse, nor of the will of man. Man is saved not because of his own will, but rather because of the will of God. God is not willing that any should perish. And there is a will that is the will of God, and there is a will that is the will of man. And we often talk about the will of God and surrendering to the will of God, but I don't think we, we address the issue of deal, dealing with our own will that we have. We have recorded here reference to the will of man. It is interesting uh, that there are only two direct references in the Bible to this matter, this phrase or statement, the will of man. And one, of course, is in our text verse, verse 13. The other is in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. It says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so we're not born again by our own personal will, and certainly the word of God was not revealed and penned for us by our own personal will, but it rather is because of the will of God. The word, Greek word for will means um, a desire or a choice. And so when we talk about our will, we're talking about we making our choices based on our desires that we have. And uh, it's what one wishes to, or determines to be done. God has a desire for his will to be accomplished in our lives. But the, the problem is, is our will comes in conflict with the will of God. And that's why I wanted to sing that song tonight, I Surrender All. And we have to surrender our will to the Lord uh, so that we might be able to accomplish his desire in our hearts rather than our own desires. And the conflict that comes in with salvation is this battle of the will. Are we going to succumb to the influence of the will of God to trust Christ and Christ alone to be our Savior? Or are we going to uh, hold on to our own desires and own wants and, and own pleasures to establish our means of salvation? So the will of man. The interesting thing that is the direct reference to the will of man casts a negative reflection on man's desires. And so man is not saved by his own desire or choice. 
And man did not record God's word by his own desire or choice. And that's what people, you often you'll talk with people and they'll say, well, you know, that Bible was written by men. It's true, it was written by men, but it was not written by the will of men. In other words, man didn't choose or pin down the words of this Bible based on their own desires. Uh, they wrote the word of God under the influence of the Holy Spirit in accordance with the will of God. And so there is a conflict in man's life, and it is, is it going to be my will or is it going to be God's will? And uh, so I want to focus on that uh, matter of the will of man tonight. The world teaches and portrays man as being inherently good, but the reality is, is man is inherently bad. And that's why we need the salvation of God and the forgiveness of God. So notice, first of all, we want to consider uh, this will of man initially. It's initially demonstrated in Genesis. <clears throat> I'm sorry about that. Genesis chapter 3 in uh, verse 6. In uh, Genesis chapter 3 in verse 6. And uh, I was rereading, re started rereading my Bible and, uh, last week, and I was going through Genesis, and the Lord keeps directing me back to Genesis. And I have another message I'm working on. I'm just praying about preaching out of Genesis. God really spoke to my heart about a lot of things. But when you think of the will of man, it, it initially was demonstrated uh, to us through the Word of God uh, back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And I saw that phrase there. Uh, it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. And so her response to take of the forbidden fruit was based on her own desire, her own will to do that. And so she, uh, first of all, we have to consider in Genesis uh, God's care and response. Uh, God cared for man and God responds to man's condition. Uh, God had, uh, well, first of all, created man without a sin nature. I've had people say, well, God, if, if God hadn't created man with a sin nature, they would not have sinned and eaten of the forbidden fruit. No, God did not create them with a, with a sin nature. Because in Genesis 1.27, says God, so God created man in his own image. In, in the image of God created he him, male and female created the them. And if they were created sinners, uh, then God was creating them in his image sinner. And so I don't believe the initial demonstration of the will of man being prevalent in the garden is based on the fact that God created man sinful, but rather uh, God did not create man uh, with a sin nature. He positioned man in an ideal environment. In uh, uh, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 says, God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowls of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And so the position that God put man in was a good place to be. 
It was a perfect environment. Uh, everything functioned the way it should. There was no corruption in the garden. It was completely pure and completely clean. And, uh, and certainly there was not all this influence that goes on with the culture in which we live and are bombarded all the time. And so uh, we see God creating man without a sin nature and positioning man in an ideal environment. But even beyond that, we see the care and response of God to man because he provided man with all temporal needs in Genesis 1.29. And God said, Behold, I, get, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree, in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And so God had provided everything for Adam that he needed in order to sustain life. That's God's care and response to the needs of man. And in the midst of this perfect environment, in the midst of God's ability to provide all these things for man, he also engaged man with work of the hands and of his mind. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And so God engages man with responsibility. And, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, it's just amazing to me that uh, we wonder why that people struggle with things in their life. And I think man needs to be working. I think he needs to be involved. I believe he needs to use his mind in, in the, to the ability that God has given him to understand. And I think he needs to use his physical strength uh, to accomplish the things that God enables him to do. God engaged Adam with the joy and the responsibility of working with his hands and with his mind. We see in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16 and 7, he, uh, 17, he warned man of the consequences of disobedience. In uh, verse 16, the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of the, every tree of the garden uh, thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof, Thou shalt surely die. And so we see the care of God and the response of God to man in reference to his needs and being willing to warn him uh, there is only one restriction and uh, one means of endangering yourself, and that was to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so God warned him of those consequences. Uh, and so a lot of times people want to... Uh, try to say that God ought to be on a guilt trip because of the fact that he set man up to fall. No, God didn't set man up to fall. God set man up to be successful. And God set man up to be victorious. And uh, he gave him the warnings of the consequences of disobeying uh, his command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we also see that he endowed man with strong mental abilities. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, the Lord said, It is not good for man that he should be alone. I will make for him a help, uh, I shall make him a help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. 
And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. He didn't have an encyclopedia to go to. didn't have a dictionary to open up. He didn't have other, person, other people to counsel with, to get wisdom, to know what these animals were. But God had endowed man with the ability to think through and assess and evaluate all this creation that God has made. And everything that was living on the face of the earth, Adam named that, and that's what the name of uh, those particular animals are. So he endowed him with strong mental abilities. You say, why are you going through all of this? Because I want you to see uh, God's willingness to care and respond to the needs of men. And uh, in the initial demonstration of the will of man succeeding above the will of God. I want you to see all that Adam had to overcome, all Adam had to ignore to get to the point of disobedience in the garden. So he endowed him with strong mental abilities. He produced for man a mate for life. In Genesis chapter 2, in verse 20, and Adam gave the names of all the cattle and the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib uh, was uh, the Lord God had taken from a man, made he a woman, and he brought her unto Adam. And so God uh, uh, produced a mate for Adam uh, in the garden because he saw that it wasn't good for him to be alone. And God created us as social beings. Uh, we need interaction with each other. And uh, so that's why the Bible says, uh, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. Man needs that relationship with a woman, and we need the relationship with each other. Christian fellowship is necessary because God has created us to be social beings. He said it's not good for man to be alone. And so he produced an opportunity for man to be satisfied in relationship. But then he also associated with man in a personal relationship. Chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, And where art thou? And so this whole association between the creator and between man was very personal. God came in the cool of the day uh, to meet with Adam personally. And God is a very personal God. And uh, we must have a personal relationship with him in surrendering our will to his will and be identified and accountable to him. So it's associated with man. And then uh, he removed from man the opportunity to blame God. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, we know they fall into sin. They eat of the forbidden fruit. And, he, and uh, unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife. He's saying this, don't blame me. The reason why you're in the situation that you're in is because it was your own choosing. Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and thou hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. 
Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. And then in verse 22, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the, God, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. God removed all opportunities for man to unjustly blame or accuse God for the failure in the garden. Now, God responds, God cares and responds to every need that Adam has. So when we, get, we find Adam being put out of the garden, what is the main, main conflict? The main conflict is between the will of God and the will of man. Adam chose to work his own will. So letter B is just simply this, man's disregard and remorse. And uh, certainly Adam would have to spend the rest of his days living by the sweat of his brow. And uh, that's why man even today has to live by the sweat of his brow. You work hard, you work hard, you work hard, and it doesn't seem like you get anywhere. It's because of the will of man in the Garden of Eden. And uh, so this is a great quote. The first sin was the desire in the heart, the choosing of self-interest rather than God's interest, the preferring of self to God, the making of self the chief in rather than God. And that sums up the problem in human society today. The problem is, is man is living in accordance with the will of man. And so it's more important for me to satisfy myself. You read all the statistics and, and about America, and you find they're constantly identifying and speaking to the reference that uh, American society has become the me society. We're a selfish society. Everything is about what I desire, what I want. It doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong, if I'm offended, if I don't get my way, then you're in trouble. we got a conflict here. What, when the problem is that man, everyone is living in accordance with the will of man, with a disregard to what the consequences are when we refuse to live in accordance with the will of God. And so the will of man, first of all, is little fill-ins there, um, and acting out of the choice of the heart. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27 it says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. So he's talking about an outward, physical, improper relationship. But notice the impression that Christ gives and the elevation of the seriousness of that problem in verse 28. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. What is he saying? The physical problem is bad enough because it violates God's command, thou shalt not commit adultery. But the, that is the product of the will of man choosing in his heart, this is what I want to do. And he said, once you even think the thought in your heart, you've already committed the adultery. And so the will of man is just simply the acting out 
of the choice of the heart of man. And, uh, you know, the, you, you choose to do the things that you do. You know, people all talk about crime and they talk about the rate of imprisonment and all this, that, and the other. You do understand that when somebody breaks the law, they do go to prison. And they are accountable for their, their crime that they committed. We live in a society that says, well, wait a minute, there shouldn't be any consequences and there shouldn't be uh, any result of man choosing in his heart to do something that violates the safety or the life or whatever, uh, taking the possession of someone else. Uh, they should not have to face the consequence. Adam and Eve, when they responded to the choice of their own heart and they reacted in the Garden of Eden according to their own will rather than the will of God, had to suffer the consequences. And so the will of man is just simply the acting out of the choices of the heart. It is also the neglecting of the design and purpose of God. It was not the purpose of God for Adam and Eve to fall into sin in disobedience and be cast out of the Garden of Eden. It was the will of God and the purpose of God, the design of God, for man to be fruitful and to multiply and to dress and care for the creation that God had created. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 23, it says, Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And certainly uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, understood the necessity of uh, God's will being accomplished in our life that, wait a minute, we've committed our life to Christ, we've surrendered ourselves to the Lord, we've been born again by the grace of God, by surrendering our will, then we ought to live with the purpose in our heart to cleave to God. It is, listen, it is not the will of God for someone to pray and get saved and trust Christ as their Savior and to live completely apart from the church. That is not the will of God. It is the will of man that causes people to say, well, I'm a Christian, I'll trust Christ as my Savior, but I'm not going to church and I don't need to read my Bible, I don't need to do these things because I want to do all these other things. And so it is a battle between the design and the purpose of God and the will of man that causes the conflict within the heart and the life of believers. But it's also a turning away from fellowship with God. And we know that Adam and Eve, they were hiding. It, was, it, it seems to suggest when you read through Genesis chapter 3 that it was a natural thing that God would come in the cool of the day and he would fellowship with Adam and Eve. But when they willfully rejected the will of God, they were embarrassed, they covered themselves, and they hid themselves from God. Fellowship was immediately broken. And so the will of man uh, always is a turning away from fellowship with the Lord. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 11 says, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. And man who is living in accordance with his own will, his own desires, uh, is a man who is refusing to fellowship with the, with the Lord. 
And so it's the will of God, the will of man is the turning away from fellowship. So we see, uh, first of all, uh, this matter of the Lord uh, was speaking to the hearts of man initially in the garden dem is demonstrated how the will of God, uh, sorry, will of man functions and what is the outcome or the, the consequence of the will of man. Then in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, uh, we know the biblical revelation concerning the will of man, or we can literally, as, as uh, um, Jeremiah tells us, speak in reference to the uh, heart of man. The heart, we often say the heart is the seat of all motions or the will of man. And when the Bible speaks of the heart, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And so the condition of the will, the biblical revelation, the scripture shows us the condition of the will of man. Notice, first of all, number one there is just, it's deceitful. It says in verse, verse 9, the heart is deceitful. The word deceitful means to be crooked, means to be sly, means to be crafty. And uh, it's, it's amazing, uh, <laughs> it's amazing to watch these little kids in school. And, boy, I'll tell you one thing, they're crafty. Uh, they're, they're, they're sly. I don't trust any of them. They're wicked. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it's just interesting to watch the things that they do or the situations they get in and how they justify it. And look at you in the face and lie to you. Uh, it's, it's amazing. You say, how can that take place? Because the Bible reveals that the heart is desperately wicked. It's crooked. And that's why we need God to create in us a new heart. He creates in us a new heart, and that changes our will. Because the new heart is in line with the will of God. And so it's not only is it uh, deceitful, but it's desperately wicked. Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The word desperately uh, literally means to be weak or to be sick. It means to be incurable. And a man can, that's why man cannot correct the problems in society. You have all these sociologists and psychologists and all this, that, and the other, and you, everybody's got their idea about how man should function and how we ought to respond and what ought to be accepted in our society, and everybody's trying to make everything run smooth, but they haven't got their heart converted. And because they have not had their heart converted and, and surrendered to Christ, their sickness is incurable. Job 34 and verse 6 says, Shall I lie against my right? My wound is incurable without transgression. And so we cannot solve the problem ourselves. Adam and Eve could not solve their problem of disobedience in Genesis. It required the Lord to slay the animal and take the skins of the animal and to cover their sins to provide the means for them to be reconciled unto the God who created them. Their condition, their condition was desperately wicked. The condemnation of the will. And because the will of man is desperately wicked, and because it is deceitful, uh, then it does bring condemnation. Adam and Eve were condemned for their actions. 
They were condemned for exercising their will against God's will. And uh, number one there is none that doeth good. Uh, Psalm 14.1 says, The fool hath said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. Therefore is none that doeth good. And six times in the scriptures it says, The fool fool hath said in his heart there is no God. The condemnation, uh, there's none that doeth good. Number two there, there's literally 14 indictments against man uh, because of his will that is corrupt. In, in Romans chapter 3, and uh, oftentimes we memorize these verses, and I know many times I'll use these verses uh, when witnessing to somebody because they need to know uh, what the consequences are in living in accordance with the will of man. Notice indictments here in verse 10 of Romans chapter 3. For it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, and they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Uh, with their tongues they have used deceit. With the poison of asp is under their tongue, lips, uh, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for the law is the knowledge of sin. Fourteen indictments against man because of man living in accordance with his own will. The consummation of the will of God, back in Isaiah, Isaiah identifies the children of Israel and their condition and the outcome of their rebellion against their God. In um, Isaiah chapter 1 in uh, verse 2, if I can get over there. Says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. You think in the garden, God created Adam, and out of Adam, He created the woman. He gave them a command don't eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And uh, they disobeyed their God, their creator. They rejected it to live in accordance with their own desires rather than the desire of God. And then in verse 4, it says, A sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, a sin, a seed of evildoers, children uh, that are uh, corruptors, Uh, they have forsaken the Lord, Uh, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They are gone away backwards. Why should ye be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. And that's, that's the problem in the world. That's a problem in America right now in reference to the biblical revelation. The, the root of the problem is that we are a people who are living in accordance with our own will rather than the will of God. So the biblical revelation. Final domination is that uh, you can overcome the, your will by surrendering your will to Christ. Uh, You don't have to live in accordance with the will of man because God has provided a way for man 
uh, to be saved and to be delivered. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 10, in uh, verse 5, it's always a good verse to look to. It says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The final domination is this. Either we can live in accordance with the will of man in us, or we can bring all those thoughts and all those ways and bring them under the authority of Jesus Christ. And so letter A is there, just get out of self and get into Christ. Amen. And that's what we need to do. That's how we need to live in reference to the fact that it's not about us. It's about Christ. And uh, oftentimes people say, well, I don't want to go to a church that's legalistic because then they want you to go to church all the time. They want you to live certain ways and all this, that, and the other. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything about being in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And old things have passed away. It didn't say that they're going to pass away. They said, it says that all things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. And so, number one there, it's a personal, personal determination will not help you. That's why chapter 7 of Romans is Paul's uh, cry in reference to the struggle of the will of man versus the will of God. And a personal determination, I'll just determine I'm going to do better. You won't do better. Before I got saved, you realize how many times I said I was going to quit smoking? Never quit smoking. Before I got saved, you realize how many times I said I was going to quit drinking? I never quit drinking. Personal determination does not change the will of man. It is Christ and Christ alone that changes the will of man. Because the will of man is surrendered to the will of Christ. So personal determination will not help. Number two there psychological evaluation will not help. And uh, well, Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 27. You know, we, have to, we really do have to stop uh, in Christianity thinking that we can psychoanalyze, uh, assess everything and figure everything out because you can't. Because it is a spiritual life that we live in the presence of an almighty God who does miraculous things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, uh, the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, all things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And so it's getting out of ourself and getting into Christ. And if we'll do that, then we can start living in accordance with the will of God and not with the will of man. So get out of self and into Christ. Let her be there. Give up this life for everlasting life. Our life is more than getting up and going to work every day. Our life is more than paying the bills or dealing with relationship problems and all. Our life is more than that. We're living for eternal life. We're just passing. We're not, we're not staying here. We're passing through. And so live in light of 
everlasting life. Uh, number one there, it is a hatred for your life in this world. And we, we have uh, become too satisfied and too accepting of the world. We need to hate our life in this world. And, uh, you know, the world hates those that are Christians. The world hates Christ. And so we, can, we cannot live our life in accordance with the will of God by constantly satisfying our own personal wills in this life. Number two there is identifying with the death of Christ. That's why Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. And so if I'm crucified with Christ, then my will, my life, no longer matters. Everything in my life that is worthwhile and of value is based on the will of God in reference to who Christ is. So the identify, you identify with the death of Christ. Let her see there. Uh, give your will to the will of God. And uh, you, have to, you have to do that. I can't do that for you. And nobody else can do that for you. You have to give your will to the will of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You cannot discern what is the perfect will of God when you're not willing to surrender man's will to Christ. Here's some concluding thoughts here. Much of the preaching today that you hear in teaching today focuses on being saved because Jesus is Messiah. And that is true. They have to trust Christ as their Savior, as the Messiah of Israel. A lot of it is focused on heaven is a wonderful place. That is true, but hell is an awful place. And if all we're doing is just looking for something better, uh, then we're not really being delivered from the chastisement of our sin. And uh, it's easy for man's will to say, I want something better. Everybody talks about it. Every generation says, I want the, my children, I want the next generation to have it better than what I had. But being a Christian isn't just getting something that's better. It's getting saved and being delivered. And many will tell you, say, God will help you with your problems, which is true. But God's ability to help you with your problems is not salvation. People need to be saved because they're lost. They need to be saved because their desire is not towards God. They need to be saved because they need a new heart. They need a new will. That's why they need to be saved. But we, we have so watered down this whole concept of salvation because we want to make people feel good about their desires that's in their hearts. And their desires that's in their hearts are corrupt. And they need the forgiveness of God and the cleansing of God and the deliverance of God. I think that's why we have a lot of people that will pray prayers, supposedly get saved, but they never get in church. People claim that they're going to heaven, but they never darken the door of the church. And it's because we have presented that it's acceptable to live in accordance with the will of man and neglect the will of God. I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. And that's basically what we have done. We, we, we have 
created this uh, conscious awareness in the church that we everything is that we live for is about I got to make sure I'm protecting against sin and I got to make sure I don't be influenced this way and that way and the other way. But we are absolutely disconnected when it comes to the reality of the will of God. And then we wonder why we're frustrated as a Christian. It is far more important for you to be concerned about the will of God and not your will because the will of God will never take you down the path of sin. Your will will. Adrian Rogers said this, much of God's will for your life is already found in the Bible. I've had people ask me over the years, how do you know what the will of God is? I'm going to tell you, probably 90% of the will of God is already written down. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt do this. The Lord's desire is this. I mean, it's already recorded. All you got to do, you do pretty good just to start doing what the word of God says. And your will will be surrendered completely to the will of God. Well, I hope that made sense to you tonight. And uh, it is a struggle among many people, whether they get saved or not. They just won't surrender their will to the will of Christ. 